Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, a space dedicated to exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com, also available on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega, and today we have a fantastic conversation with someone who has a lot to say. We welcome to the Radio Plasma studio, counselor for War II in the city of Holyoke, but also a warrior and a good friend, Nelson Roman. Oh, thank you, Johan. That was so sweet. What a good intro. That was amazing. Thank you. I'm humbled that you said all those kind things. I don't feel I'm at those levels, but thank you. I'm humbled. Good to be here. I love your show. To all the Radio Plasma listeners, thank you for having me on today. So let's talk about, about you. Of course, well-known, the work you're, you have been doing for a year now, working for War II, a city councilor, and it's work that is undeniable, it is seen, it has been done well, and it's not, it's not yet over, which is good. But in order to get to this point, let's go back into how everything that you're doing now becomes so important, becomes part of your mission, because I believe it is not just something that you take as a city councilor, but as something that is part of your life. So that is what we would like to hear from you. Yeah, so I'll go all the way back. Um, I was actually born and raised in Waterbury, Connecticut. I'm not from Holyoke, even though I love the city of Holyoke. Uh, grew up a Catholic, Boricua, uh, which means Puerto Rican. Grew up, born and raised, mom and dad, two brothers. We had a cousin named Maggie who lived with us, a foster sister, if you would. Um, and I basically grew up normal, strict rules with my mom and dad, had to be home by 10, all that fun stuff. Um, and then I came out of the closet at about like 18, uh, and it didn't go so well. Um, my parents didn't talk to me. It was a really tough time, and a lot of LGBT individuals have that experience of it being a rough coming out experience. Um, so I figured my hometown was not the place for me. So at 18, um, I moved away. Uh, in 2004 or five, I moved away. I moved to Hartford, uh, Connecticut, worked in retail. I tried college. It wasn't for me. <laughs> I partied too hard. I couldn't stay focused, but I went into retail management and I moved to Hartford. Uh, I loved retail. I got to travel. Um, I lived in Hartford, Westport, New Haven, Bridgeport, New York. Uh, I became a, worked my way up from store manager to district manager uh, for different retail establishments. Uh, and then I met my partner at the time, um, and he was from Western Mass, uh, and he said, I want to go back home to finish college. Uh, will you come with me? I was like, of course. Why not? If you love it, I love it. I moved to Springfield, uh, lived there for a while, and then I actually became homeless. Him and I separated, uh, my partner at the time and I. I uh, became homeless. I literally stood in a tent off of 391 uh, when you first come off on High Street. Uh, I was a part of that tent city population. Mm -hmm. um, and I was grateful. Uh, and this kind of gives you the context of the work, right? Uh, a lot of the people who I now serve as a counselor were the ones who helped me, uh, whether it's Capri Pizza or Betty Adenlase or my workers at HAP that helped me get into a home-based program that helped single men with no dependents. They paid for my first class in security. I actually lived at 106 Northeast Street, uh, the building that just burned down recently. I was apartment 1B, so when you went on the first floor, I was the one to the right. I got robbed there twice <laughs> on Christmas. Oh, wow. uh, they stole my nativity set, my Church of Jesus, and then Atlas moved me. Um, 
to Cabot Street, 27 Cabot Street. So I was a resident of South Holyoke. I fell in love with it. Uh, it felt like little Puerto Rico, uh, all the Puerto Ricans that are here, the vibrancy, the pride. There's a beautiful swath of Latinx individuals here, uh, but I fell in love with it. And I realized quickly being a, a man in the system, someone who was, uh, you know, LGBT and who contracted HIV when I moved out here as well, it's part of the homelessness story, uh, that the system was rigged and basically a lot of people talked, but no one did. And I wanted to do. I just wanted to get things done. So after being homeless, I actually became a stabilization case manager. I would help families navigate. I worked at the VOC Main Street Shelter, a couple mm -hmm. doors down here, when it was just for women with kids only. Um, I had about my first class of families. A lot of those uh, women, their kids call me Tio Nelson, and uh, two or three of them still are with me. My nephew Jaden was just at my house for a Three Kings Day, gave him gifts, he's still with me. I held him in my arms when he was born, and he's now six years old. Uh, so Holyoke really made me become a man because I had to struggle, survive, and then help other people get out of it. So a lot of my public life has been recent, but I've always been in the community, and I've worked for Enlace, New England Farm Workers Council, doing the work of the people. And for me, if it wasn't for Holyoke, I'd probably still be with nothing. So I feel like I'm indebted uh, to Holyoke for my life. Um, and that's what like spurred me to this work. I'm much more complex. I'm a theater nut. Um, I love music. Uh, I love dancing. I have a beautiful partner now named Bronnie, um, which you know, uh, Johan, you're part of my life. Um, and all these people that I have met are like family. Um, like I said, Carmen's here today with me in this interview, president of the association. Um, Holyoke has really become my family unit. All my family is still in Connecticut. Um, and even this year, even through turmoil, um, my dad leaving my mom after 35 years, she's now in Holyoke with me. And so I'm now moving my family nucleus to Holyoke, and I love it. I wouldn't be anywhere else. Now, being an elected official, how do you perceive this relevance of working with those agencies, with the people who once you were a client and they were helping you now is I, I believe the most literal way of giving back how this impact right now in your life and your work yeah so i for example will forever be indebted uh, exactly like for example gandara center uh, their HIV AIDS workers in Springfield were my very first workers. Uh, Project uh, Health? Project Health, mm -hmm. yeah. So every year they do the uh, basically Hispanic HIV AIDS Awareness Day. I still go back there every year and I participate in their program. I walk in the candlelight vigil. I give back, whether it's Betty from Enlace, I will always make sure Enlace continues to survive and exist. It's like my mantra and my mission, nuestras raíces with the food, or even supporting businesses like Capri Pizza. I would sit in there every day, um, and again, clearly I was homeless. They never asked a question, but the son Gennaro would give me a slice of pizza no matter what. So still to this day, they give me a slice of pizza no matter what, but I make sure I provide them with business, and I put my money my city council money, put it back in there. But as far as giving me the context of the work, I realized a lot of these agencies were lacking resources. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's the lack of knowledge and the fact that we as city councilors or elected officials have a huge access to wealth, like as far as resources, time, energy, what for funding programs you could qualify for. So it's just sharing that knowledge of even how to navigate city government for either CBDG money or, hey, this is the new grant coming out. Why don't we work together? I found that a lot of... Now that I'm in office, a lot of that institutional knowledge when I was a man on the streets and frustrated, like, why isn't this being done? 
the fact that now I, I know and hopefully pe- the people know you can just call your city councilor and get that done or you can go to this person and get that done or that person and get that done I feel like that was a missing link but having someone that's relatable and listen 100% it's from the hood I used to do live in the streets hustle in the streets do what I had to do I can go and speak to those guys and girls who are struggling on the street what are there in the you know I call it the underground economy or not, hey, this is what's for you. This is what can help you. And I make sure I hold it accountable. For example, when a new business opened in South Holyoke, mm-hmm. we worked hard, you know, and I give Carmen credit and the association to make sure that those jobs went to local men and women in, in, in South Holyoke, the flats, anywhere. But those jobs are local. So those things have impacted and pushed my work to that way. Um, but I also like people to know that I'm a human being. I have flaws. I'm not perfect. I, I, I feel like I'm the the Holyoke Oprah. I gain and lose weight depending on the year. Some people knew me skinny. Some people knew me big. I just got recertified to teach Zumba, so I'm going to get back into fitness mode. Um, and that's how a lot of people knew me. I even had a dance studio for two years on Main Street, uh, and I would provide dance, and I would provide Zumba. And those things have all felt that I can give back to the community in a meaningful way while still having a connection to it. And if there's one thing I've learned living here, you never forget the people on your way up because when you have nothing, those are the people that you're going to need when you're down there. Uh, so for me, it's about the relationship and not necessarily the politics or the blah, blah, blah. And I'm fun. Like I said, I was excited about this program because it's another side of it. Like I like people, some people are shocked. Like I know we're going to talk about that later, that Celine Dion's my favorite singer. Like, what? So those kinds of things, when you're able to connect with people one-on-one, that's where I see the real work being done. Um, And like I said, whether it's this recent tragic events or simple things, traffic lines on the street, a stop sign in the corner, handicapped parking stickers, those little things that people have been waiting, in some instances, for years, we're now just getting done. And I don't take any of the credit. It's the people. It's the people like the Neighborhood Association presidents who call me and say, we need this done. Or the people who say, hey, I want resident-only parking on the street. Get it done. Uh, I don't take any of the credit. It's for them. They did the work. I just filed it and made sure it happened. It's been a year since you took the position of city councilor for Ward 2, something that it was, I believe, a needed change. And certainly those changes began to happen. It's been a year full of changes, of activity, of challenges. How can you summarize this past year as a city councilor? Exhausting and rewarding. (laughs) It has been a whirlwind of, for me, exhausting in the fact that Literally, I'm up every day at 5, 6 in the morning, and I'll go to bed sometimes at 12, 1 in the morning. So sometimes there's three, four hours of sleep in between. Um, But I feel exactly that. For me, my constituents, I feel like I have a lot of catching up to do. And it's not to criticize or compare myself to anyone who come before me or the scale of work that they do, but I want to set the bar even higher, that your person who's representing you needs to do so much more. It has been, you know, really struggle of a year in the sense that I haven't been able to accomplish as much as I want. If it was up to me tomorrow, Main Street would be redone to Cabot. It, we would have more businesses, and, and I want to do so much more, uh, but I'm human, and you know I do have my conditions, and I do have to sleep. I do have to eat properly. So in that sense, it's been exhaustive, but rewarding. For me, it's the first time where I know I can go into a neighborhood, and people know who I am and know how to get in touch with me as an elected official. For the first time, I see like the people rising up on their own and taking ownership of their neighborhoods or streets, and they feel empowered, like, this is my neighborhood. I own this, like I have a stake in this, and I want to see more 
in my neighborhood. So it's been rewarding in that. And just little things. We've accomplished a lot, like, you know, the Taste of South Holyoke Festival. We've done, like I said, parking lines in South Holyoke. Churchill has seen more stop signs. There's a lot of accidents in Churchill neighborhood. Lights, 24 hours in Chestnut Street Park. Um, fighting for bond money for Valley Arena Park. Susie Park on, you know, Main Street's going to get redone. We've seen the Haunted House open. We've seen an expansion with Aegis. We've seen so much. And even from the business community, they have now someone who's going to study, connect the neighborhood to the businesses to have those conversations. I think Ward 2 is going to be the new hot ward. I know a lot's been happening in Ward 1 and 4, but watch out. We're coming up, and we're going to be the new bright and shining ward. Um, And I'm excited for that. And again, rewarding in that for me to see so much in such a short amount of time. I now know at year two, I have to push harder. I have to push stronger. And I have to keep that level up, not just because it's an election year, but because it's my job. And I want whoever it is who comes after me, or if it's still, if if the constituents honor me with another term, I have to stay at that level. I have to stay on my A game. I have to continue to push. But now this time it's to allow those who are leaders to lead and to have them set the pace and tone and me take cues from them as an elected. Um, And like I said, I applaud people like Carmen, like Leitha from Churchill, or, you know, in in Springdale, Ingleside, Paul and Audrey Bissett, who are the ones down there doing the work. Uh, There is a multitude of people who are now doing the work and thankful to people who still do the work, like Betty Medina. She'll jump out there at a drop of a dime, or Nueva Esperanza with Josh, or even yourself, Maricler. There's so many people now that are just jumping to say we're here and look no further than what recently happened to see that this community is now united. I believe this was possibly the ultimate test of what community means in a very tragic event, but it shows how much we can thrive as a community and putting aside any differences, any arguments, any anything that is not being well, being back to a stable status. Mm. I believe this is something that we are all learning. Mm. And definitely it is something that we all feel proud of as a community. Now, I'm thinking with all this work, especially after having conversations with another city councilor, Josie Valentin, and now talking to you and seeing how much work it is done, how much investment of time and effort and, and real commitment shows up for the wards and the community in general, because I believe it doesn't stop where the limits of Mm. War II are put on the map. It goes pretty much whenever it is needed. What do you think are right now the biggest challenges to overcome? So that's a great question. I don't think there's one. I think there's multiple. But if I had to say anything, for me in Holyoke, and I've always said this, it goes, as with everything on a more larger scale, right, we're a microcosm of the country. I think it goes back to race and class. So no matter what, we're always going to have an issue where it is seen as the those that are in poverty or in struggling are truly poor. I see those that are in poverty and struggling as rich because they can value and appreciate more those blessings that come to them. And they are more rich in the sense that they are survivors, they are astute problem solvers, negotiators. They have so much going for them. And, and yet we still have that institutional 
racism and oppression that will continue to keep them down. So I think that unless we start tackling those root causes of things and start breaking that down, and that's why for me as a legislature is pushing those things like participatory budgeting, banning the box, creating gentrification mitigation zones, things that will tackle the economic side of the, the class and poverty and oppression. But if you look at an overlaying map of where poverty and oppression are in Holyoke with a map of where marginalized communities are, and again, I'm not just putting it on Latinos, I'm talking about blacks, you know, whites, whoever, marginalized communities, LGBT, trans, it's all in the same neighborhoods and areas. So we have to have this holistic view, and that's why sometimes I am an outspoken critic of my allies or my enemies, in that we have to tackle that first. Um, and for me, if you don't have economic justice, there'll never be there will never be racial justice. And the same is true reverse. If you do not have racial justice, there will never be economic justice. So for me, that's the crux of the position. And that's across ideological spectrums. I don't care if you identify yourself as conservative or progressive. If you are still of a different you know, race or class level, the people down here still, it's the disconnect. So, you know, I have amazing, beautiful, progressive friends of mine who speak about marginalized communities, but I'm like, when's the last time you went down to that hood and actually spent time there? And yes, of course, on the other end, that is retrospectively true as well. But those, to me, that's the hugest issue. And for me, it's not about anyone speaking on behalf of or doing the work for. It's about me allowing the community to rise up and demand those certain levels of expectations. And that, to me, is the hugest issue that we have going forward. And if you look about all the issues we place here as a city, all the issues we face on a national level, it always boils down to the rights of the individual versus the rights of the many. And which one is more, I guess what you would say, which one is, is the truer, more valued principle? Is it the right of the individual or the rights of the many? I am a populist person, so I think it's the right of the many and the collective majority, because if you leave anyone behind, then you're never going to have a utopian or great or perfect society, as people like to put it in parentheses. And that'll never happen unless we're addressing those issues. So I know that was a very vague statement, but I think that that, for me, is what's the problem. So as a new term is approaching, where are the plans? <laughs> So, yes, for me, I ran the first time on cleaner and safer streets, better parks, an education system that works, increasing civic participation. Um, those were really the four principal platforms that I ran on, um, and increasing jobs and economic opportunity. I think we've done and pushed forward on those projects, uh, but there's a lot of things that people don't see in the backgrounds or votes that I've taken or legislation I'm proposing that I need to push forward. So yes, I'm hopeful and I'm excited, I'm revved up, I'm ready to go and seek another term from the voters and the constituents of Ward 2 because there's still a lot more work to be done, uh, especially around like, for example, the neighborhood associations are in their infancy. They were year one. They're still coming to fruition. I, as a city councilor, pay for all the meals or the space rentals or the whatever. I need to continue to foster and nurture that to the point where it becomes self-sufficient where they really don't need me. So year two, it's to allow them to grow and breathe. 
But then years four, three and four is now allowing them to set the agenda and, you know, not them tell me what I have to do. Uh, and you see those processes that I work through. It's a lot of time and energy. Uh, but the plan is to push for things now. For example, the anti-gentrification mitigation zone, which is basically says if a developer wants to open up a building or buy a building in South Holyoke that has apartment dwellers in it, they can't do that. The tenants have the first right to buy the building before anyone if the landlord wants to sell. And imagine that. And, and there's good examples for that. Like Nueva has the Volsas de Esperanza project where the tenants of an apartment building own the property. So they're homeowners as well as being renters at the same time. So those are the kinds of things I want to see happen more and including Revitalizing Main Street. We passed when I first got in there, and I'm proud. Again, we have beautiful rainbow of Latinx individuals, but Holyoke is, and we're probably going to lose it in the next census, so I only got a few more years to say it, the number one city in the U.S. per capita of Puerto Ricans. So we created the Puerto Rican um, cultural area with the flats in South Holyoke. I want to see banners coming all the way down Main Street and make our own Paseo Boricua. I want to see more cultural creation and a theater opening and, you know, really pushing this dynamic of we need to be proud to connect Main Street to Ray Street. Ray Street has beautiful things going on and I'm not knocking it, but we need to connect that with the people on Main Street. And so like the festival and everything, start connecting so we're all big, one big community. So those are the things I would like to see. Keep pushing my talk on safety and crime. Continue the neighborhood and the park cleanups and the street cleanups. Those little things that people can physically look out their doors and see, hey, that's done. Or like I said, I'm so happy and I'm glad that the residents can go out and see that stop sign or see those painted lines and see that those quality of life things have been addressed. So then you can start having those larger conversations. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for that. Now that you mentioned the importance of recognizing the population in, in Holyoke being 48% Puerto Rican, mm -hmm. and you as part of this Puerto Rican community, how the role as a Puerto Rican plays, not only as a city councilor, but also as Latinx, as LGTB, as human being as someone who <laughs> loves to have fun pretty much in everything you do. Yeah, so I love the fact that I'm Boricua. I wear it with a stamp of pride. I It's, it's a truly connecting point for me and a rally cry. Um, and for me on the full spectrum, let's take it from the out and in. As a human being and being from Puerto Rico is beautiful. It's a rich island, lots of culture, lots of food, lots of, of, of just family and, and so much amazing and beautiful things that have transferred to the U.S. and have kind of created its own subculture. Very, you know, and a lot of us consider ourselves New Yorkans. Everyone has a connection to the Bronx or Brooklyn or somewhere down there any in some way shape or form so for me it really is a beautiful thing to identify and call out and work arm in arm with our kindred who are latinx the spectrum here is beautiful we have a large dominican population here in holyoke colombian haitian we have we're seeing this beautiful mix of latinx and individuals from other places who are coming in, it's a, it's a good thing. I'm excited for it. Um, it's difficult at times because our narrative kind of gets blended in or we're seen as always being the angry ones or the, the ones who always have a complaint. Or, and a lot of times what I tell people is it's true, though. We are seen sometimes as less than in this city, and that's sometimes a struggle but a celebrating point. The fact that I'd say the Puerto Rican community 
I would use the word resilient. Like if there's any word I could think to encapsulate what we are as resilient, whether that's, you know, in our lives or in our careers or in our culture, we're resilient people. And we're also very kind. Like we're friendly. We're a fun bunch. And the cool thing about being Puerto Rican, you could become an adoptive Puerto Rican tomorrow. It doesn't have to be by blood. It could be by osmosis or by truly just embracing the culture and learning our, our, our love of our isla. Like, and I think that's true of any subgroup, but much more so for the Puerto Rican. You, could, you don't have to be by blood. You could be Italian. You could be Cuban. You could be Colombian. We call you Puerto Rican. I consider you Puerto Rican, Johanna, and I know you're not. But you, to me, are Boricua 100% and will always be in my eyes because you understand us and you love our music, our food, our culture, and it allows us to be us, right? A lot of those other, I mean, Holyoke's beautiful because it's a big Irish Mecca and people love to be Irish here. I want to see a day where you would love and on the Puerto Rican Day Parade or the festival, as many, I see more Boricuas on St. Patrick's Day who are Irish that day, <laughs> drinking it in green. I want to see all the Irish people dressed as Boricuas and drinking and with our flag and our stuff. And I think that can happen. I really think it can. And for me, it's because for the first time ever, we're starting to talk to one another. All throughout the Puerto Rican community and the Latinx community, we're starting to have those fun and yet sometimes touchy conversations of where do we work together and where do we fit in and i think that's a beautiful thing and i'm excited for it so yes <laughs> i guess um, one one of the best ways to make an example of this definitely it was the taste of south holyoke uh, i believe that was an event that brought everyone together and allowed everybody to enjoy as a community an exchange of culture mm -hmm. of tradition of music of food and other type of activities in a way that I believe made a magic moment for the city. So after experiencing that powerful event, what will be the next step organizing a sequel of this Stays of Health Holyoke? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked. We are planning on coming back for a second year. We're going to start the meeting sometime next month. We want to include more of the community have volunteers take a chairmanship role in running one of those duties. Uh, we're still going to keep it to one day uh, just for the logistics and safety, And but we have to continue that tradition. And my hope is a stage two is having a Churchill, uh, you know, celebrate Churchill Festival. We should have every neighborhood that's able to call out like block parties who they are. It was not an expensive festival to run and have. There was good sponsorship, great music. And for me, the win was having the neighbors and residents come out and sell their food and sell their little, you know, manualidades, which means like their, you know, crafts, arts and crafts. And they made the money right in their own pocket. To me, that was the win, that the neighborhood felt like they had something that was there. I saw the seniors coming from with their wheelchairs down to Capri to see the stage and wheel back. They were excited. We, we, we didn't have great lighting this year, but I remember at the end of the day, the sun was going down. The stage was the stage was lit. There was people all around. I barely saw their eyes. It was like cats and you know, their eyes glow. And I was like, this place is packed. And it's like 8 o'clock at night, and it's still packed. Um, but we will see that sequel. And the hope is that the Churchill Neighborhood Association creates one of their own. They were really excited about it. They have a good piece of land. And for me, why can't we be the city of festivals? Why can't we have a large Celebrate Holyoke that brings everyone regionally, but then every neighborhood feels like they have their block party? And Holyoke used to do that. So it's all about history. I don't reinvent the wheel. I don't take credit where credit is not due for me. That existed at one point. And we have to give credit. Carlos Vega used to use Susie Park 
and host a neighborhood block party there with Betty Medina and all of them there, Maria Salgado. They used to do that back in the day, but somehow it got lost. So for me, it's just bringing it back. And that was the cool part too, the nostalgia. The people walking around and said, I lived in South Holyoke 60 years ago, or my mom lived on this street. And they're just walking around to, to come back. That was the win for me. Multi-generational, multicultural. We can't wait to see it grow bigger and better. We're already talking with the police chief to shut down half the street, move the stage to the street side, make it a truly walkable festival. Uh, and again, I'll announce it here for the first time because we got approved for the Cultural Council. I myself and a group of people have been working to start a black box theater here in Holyoke that focuses on the Latinx Puerto Rican experience. So we are bringing La Gringa from Chicago, from the Urban Theater Company here to Holyoke. And so it'll debut that weekend. So it'll be there that full weekend. And we're working with the Wisteria Hearst Museum to create Nuestras Abuelas 2.0. So we'll have another round where we'll be asking community members to highlight and celebrate their their grandmothers. So we're going to look for new people to celebrate their grandmas. And that'll be presented on Main Street as well. So the we're bringing more events targeted to that, that weekend in September, which also happens to be Hispanic Heritage Month. And we're, we didn't call it the Puerto Rican Festival. We said it's the Taste of South Holyoke because there's so many flavors of South Holyoke. Like there's, we had Capri Pizza, we had Holyoke Hummus, we had Damn Yankees Barbecue, we had all this, the, we had all the neighbors selling their, their cuchifrito, their empanadillas, we had Fiesta Cafe, we had so much. And this year the Dean Tech kids are excited, they're gonna come down, the cookie ladies coming down, like everyone's gonna come now to be a part of this food and culture and celebration of life. So we're excited. So you can find, look at the South Holyoke uh, Neighborhood Association Facebook page. Look at that page because the association is the leader of that festival. And we will encourage the public, come, the meetings will be announced. We want people to take ownership of this, especially from the neighborhood. We're excited about that. So right now, being resident of Holyoke, city councilor, what will be your answer for someone who is not from Holyoke? What you can tell about your city, what you what you could define as the city of Holyoke? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would tell anyone the city of Holyoke is the center of the universe. <laughs> so for me, I know that's a big title to live, but for me, Holyoke is the center of the universe in the sense that however we move forward from this point is how every other city in the world is going to operate, right? We have an opportunity to be green, the greenest city in the world. We have the opportunity to be the most culturally diverse that allows those individuals who are going to be the majority very soon in Holyoke, right, like the rest of the country, we're now going to become the majority. We'll probably be the majority of the city next census. We'll probably be at 51%. What does that look like to live in a city where the majority of the residents are now minorities? That's going to be huge. To lead on the front of collaboration, innovation, all those things for me, and addressing real issues. How do you address and tackle poverty and oppression in a truly meaningful way that builds capacity and self-efficiency and self-efficacy without speaking for or tearing down those people underneath you. I think we're going to be the center of the universe. And a lot of people, listen, I give credit where credit is due. We are on the map, but give us 10 years. We're going to be setting the trends. I see Holyoke like, you know, those major Mecca cities that you see from all over, whether it's Taiwan or Tokyo or, you know, Beijing, those cities that everyone looks at in a country and says, that's the city you got to be like, that's going to be us. And it's going to look Latinx. It's going to look Boricua. It's going to look beautiful and diverse. 
and still be the wave of the future. And, it, and for me, it's going to have a mix of manufacturing, commercial, digital. I see as being the digital forefront of the world. Like that's Those are the things that I think are going to happen uh, in Holyoke. And like I said, if I had to describe us, I'd say we're the center of the universe. And I know that's a bold statement to make, but I would tell people that's it. That's where we got to be. So. Any last remarks you would like to make? Any message? Um, no, other than to everyone listening, thank you so much. I'm always available. You know, I, I hope you share with them my playlist. I was super excited to share my musical selections. I'm a big lover of music, of life, of dance. Uh, and for me, the culture and the arts are what's missing. So I even appreciate this platform of radio and just the art of even radio, musical theater, live theater, movie theaters. That is all going away, and we need to put more emphasis on that and truly connecting with our history. I feel that a lot of times history has a funny way, just like racism, of repeating itself. You have to learn from the past in order to move forward. Uh, so that was pretty much it. And thank everyone. Continue to support Radio Plasma. Like it. Share it. I know I will. Um, but I'm truly honored and humbled to be here. So thank you. Well, thank you, Nelson Roman, City Council for War II and citizen of Holyoke, citizen of the world, for sharing your thoughts, your passion, and your commitment for, like you always said, putting people first. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, this is all the time we have today for our session at the Radio Plasma Podcast. This episode was recorded at the Plasma Media Lab at the Gander Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Remember that you can listen to us at radioplasma.com and also we are available on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashibega. Thank you for listening.